Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Wondering Christians podcast. In today's episode we are going to be talking about the Trinity. Now there are multiple reasons why as Christians it is important that we understand the Trinity. So why should we study the Trinity? Well as Christians there are a multitude of reasons. Um, of course the most obvious one is that the Trinity is a core part in our understanding of the faith. Uh, as well as this, it's also considered one of the most challenging aspects of Christian theology. Um, This really being because the Bible does not specifically state this is the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. It it doesn't carry that extreme level of objectiveness about it. What do you say about Gomes? Do Do you have anything else to add as to why we should study the Trinity? It's important to know the God that we serve as Christians and that we worship. Um, and the Trinity is actually, uh, it kind of seems like just uh, some metaphysical idea or something, but it's actually pretty important to understand redemption and how uh, God uh, the Father does a, does a separate work from God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, how they all contribute to salva- to our salvation in different ways. Um so it's it's for those two reasons as well. I think we need to know the God that we serve, and um, it's it's really important to understand a lot of other doctrines and theology. Definitely, I think as well with other faiths, the Trinity can be quite an easy target for them. Uh, for example, Muslims may raise questions on the Trinity purely on the reason that nowhere in the Bible does it specifically state this is the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit with the same polemical approach as a Muslim would say, where does Jesus say, I am God, worship me? And I think throughout the Bible, it isn't a case of meeting our expectations and what exactly we want them to say. But I think the question is, Mm -hmm. does the Bible demand us view God within a certain manner? Going into it now, uh, starting off with the Bible, we should look at, well, what does the Bible um, state about the Trinity? <laughs> and at face value, it can look as if there isn't really too much. Universally, is recognised that there are two verses that do heavily suggest the Trinity, these being Matthew twenty-eight nineteen and 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Uh, Matthew saying, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And two Corinthians saying, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And the, the reason, if it isn't obvious already, that it heavily suggests the Trinity here is that it includes the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, seemingly suggesting to be within one entity. What do you say about that, Gomes? Definitely. The the writer, he puts those three persons, uh, as we already know them to be, uh, all in equal footing, um, those three names in equal footing. I guess he could say baptizing them in the name of God, but, he'll, he, but he separates them into three persons and says in, in three names. So definitely. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it, isn't it? Yeah. They they could put in the name of God, but this is just a more specific way of saying mm-hmm. do it in the name of God. Mm-hmm. And um, it's also a specific action, isn't it? It's therefore go and make, one, make disciples, mm-hmm. and then two, baptise them. And it's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, not like Father Abraham and angels, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because... 
they the Jews at that time that, and Jesus he would re- refer to God as Father, uh, God the Father. Uh, so when Jesus says in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, he's given an equivalency to all of them. Do you think the order of which the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been laid out is relevant as well? I think it's yeah, definitely. Uh, it doesn't mean. The way he said it doesn't imply anything, but from what we already know as Christians, firstly, it, it shows it's a symbol, I guess, for the order of presentation, I guess, uh, or knowledge. So in the Old Testament, they would only really talk about God the Father, even though, as we'll see further on, the Old Testament does kind of hint as uh, several persons of one entity, God, but the Father was revealed first, God, and then the Messiah or Jesus, the Son of God, and then the Holy Spirit revealed later on. And there's also an order of authority. So even though they're all equal, the Father uh, has the highest authority and the Son has a lower authority and the Holy Spirit points to the Son. Definitely. Um, And then moving on to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, I'll just read it again. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, again, this is very specific in its meaning and as well as the importance. Again, it's not saying may the grace of Abraham, the love of the Father and the fellowship of various angels like Gabriel or something, be with you all. Again, it's very specifically saying, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, love of God and fellowship of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say the Father, even though uh, if we, if anyone reads the, the New Testament, they'll see how Jesus would refer to the Father as God. There's no problem there. Yeah, and I think those are the two verses that at face value are very, can be said to be very obvious of the Trinity. However, if we continue looking we can find a few more verses that also um, demand that God be viewed of as three persons Mm -hmm. these three more verses of 1 Corinthians 12 chapter 4 to 6 Galatians chapter 4 verse 6 and 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 2 and we'll just go through them one by one again 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 4 through 6 says there are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit distributes them There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, Mm -hmm. it is the same God at work. Now, here's a question. Do you reckon that the same Lord is a reference to Jesus or do you reckon it is a reference to both Jesus and the Father? I guess I'd have to look at the original text because sometimes I think the way the the word they use changes. But here I'd say Jesus, it kind of looks like. And again, in this verse, we see the presence of a specific spirit, specifically being the Holy Spirit that distributes gifts, Mm -hmm. being within the same league of Lord and of God. And moving on to Galatians 4, chapter 4, verse 6, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls our Abba Father. Mm -hmm. Again, referencing God as father as well as referencing um, the spirit that calls out to the father and to the son as well and then in 1 peter chapter 1 verse 2 to god's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of pontus galatia cavadacia asia bithynia who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of god the father through the sanctifying work of the spirit to be obedient to jesus christ and sprinkled with his blood again father son and spirit and they all have vital 
functions within God's plan. Mm-hmm. They all work together, though separately of the same essence. That that really goes uh, what we were saying in the beginning goes well with what we were saying in the beginning beginning because the three major parts of salvation they're all present here and the foreknowledge of god it's got that elects us predestines us uh, and has the foreknowledge and loves us before the world began but then it's actually through the work of jesus and his sprinkling the sprinkling of his blood basically his death and resurrection that we can be justified so it's god the father justifies us through the work of jesus and after that we are regenerated with the Holy Spirit. So we're given new life. We're raised from the dead, spiritually speaking, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's those three essential components all at work that only work with the Trinity concept. Yes. And throughout the New Testament, there are other verses than the ones that you have read out that also have the same pattern of Father, Son and Spirit. However, a question that may arise is what about in the Old Testament, where is obviously the Son and the Holy Spirit mentioned in the Old Testament? Where is the doctrine of the Trinity mentioned in the Old Testament? And actually, throughout the entire Bible, there is a Trinitarian pattern. There are three elements that are laid out throughout the entirety of the Bible. The first one is wisdom. Wisdom being suggested to be a personification that exists apart from God, Mm -hmm. though it is also dependent on. God. Then there's the Word of God, which is also treated as an entity apart from God, yet originating with God. And then throughout, there's also the Spirit of God, which is often referring to God's presence and power within creation. Some verses to look at in regards to wisdom can be Job 28, Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 to 23, and Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. Some places to look at in regards to the Word of God can be Psalms. 119 verse 89 uh, as well as Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 to 11 and some places to look in regards to the spirit of God can be Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 26 and Isaiah chapter 42 verses 1 through 3. So let's open up some of the verses from the Old Testament Um, even if we go to the first verse of the Bible Genesis 1 1 uh, it says I'll read it in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth And here, the actual word the Bible uses in Hebrew for God is a plural form. Everyone knows that every Jew is a monotheist, um, and they would never think of God as uh, various gods, and neither does a Christian, and the Trinity isn't various gods. Yet, the Bible does use the word God in a plural form, but it is translated God. So he's not saying there are many gods that created the heavens. It was one God but God in a plural form. And that's so strange. And they wrote it down because of uh, divine inspiration. Moses wrote it down because of divine inspiration. But maybe he didn't have that concept either. But now, once uh, all of Revelation was given in the New Testament, we can understand it better. And then another verse, which is Genesis 3.22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good from evil. So again, it's the Lord God speaking. Uh, one God, saying he's become like one of us, plural. It's, again, talking about this one oneness, but also plurality, which we can only define, fully understand in the New Testament. And then the same goes for Genesis one twenty six, where God says, let us make man in our image. 
And once I was talking to a Mormon and they believe in various gods and that people become gods. But I was talking to him and he was saying, oh, this might just be an angel, but it's not. God is saying how let's thinking, let's make man in our image. It's this plural factor, but of one God again. And again, in Genesis eleven seven, it says, let us go down there and confuse their language. And it's God Again, just one God saying, let us. So it's, again, this plural factor. And again, in Isaiah 6, 8, same thing, us, it's used again. And even in the Old Testament, even talking to Jews that are complete monotheists, uh, as Christians are, we believe in one God. Yet, even in their Bible and our Bible as well, there's this plurality to him. So now that we've seen in the Bible how the writers understood the Trinity and understood the plurality of God, not an entity, but in personhood. We can now probably look at the history and see how these ideas uh, not only were established in the church, but were challenged as well. Definitely. We've seen how throughout the entire Bible, from one Genesis to the very end, uh, it is demanded of us to recognize the plurality of the singular God. Moving on now, I think it's important to look at how the doctrine of the Trinity um, developed throughout history. So to get an understanding of how the doctrine of the Trinity developed, uh, it's important to look at various apostolic or patristic fathers. And the first one that we are going to look at is Tertullian. Now, Tertullian was a theologian who lived between 160 AD to 220. He was very much fundamental in the development of many doctrines, the Trinity being just one of them. He was also a huge inventor of terminology, bringing hundreds of words, you know, nouns and verbs and so on into the Latin language, uh, whether that be from Greek or any other language. The three that we're going to look at today, which is relevant in regarding the Trinity, is uh, Trinitas, Persona and Substantia. Trinitas quite literally means trinity and it's unique in the sense that it suggests again something being one but many persona translated into english it has been come to be known as to mean person because the literal translation of persona is to mean a mask and we think the reason it was to mean a mask was the way in which romans or actors throughout the Roman Empire were in various stage plays. And these actors would wear various masks so that you could understand which character the actor was playing. And so we think perhaps Tertullian wanted us to see how the one substance plays as three distinct yet related roles. Uh, and the third term is substantia, which literally means substance. Um, being used to express the idea of a fundamental unity within the one Godhead, what the three persons of the Trinity um, all have in common. Having heard of the Trinity, you may have heard it being described to you using an allegory. There are many allegories that people use in regards to the Trinity. One of the most popular ones that are used today is the idea of how if you press three piano keys down at once, um, those three separate notes make up one chord. And so that three makes one. Have you heard of any other uh, allegories in regards to the Trinity? Uh, yeah, I've heard of, of a few. Uh, though all uh, allegories are 
not perfect. One is water, how it, how it can be in liquid, solid, which is ice, and gas, which is vapor. Um, I've heard of the three-leaved clover, which is St. Patrick's, I think, analogy. I've got my own personal analogy, <laughs> which I think is a good one. But even though it's it's probably flawed, um, it's how you, Peter, or you, listener, you have a soul, a spirit, and a uh, body. If someone looked at just your body, at like your dead body <laughs> somewhere, they would say, that's that person, and then they'd say that name. And that's true, that would be that person. And your spirit is also you. It's also, I would say my spirit is Lucas and my soul is also Lucas, even though my soul is different from my spirit, my spirit is different from my body. So, and my body is different from my soul. So I think that's another good analogy as well, but not perfect and never, never perfect. Yeah, definitely. And I think people use allegories so much because quite often trying to describe the Trinity in a literal form as to why it actually is can be incredibly difficult and so allegories just make it so much easier to understand roughly what 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 we mm-hmm. mean by the trinity um, what we mean by the three in one of course there are many questions throughout christian theology through the mystery of god that as humans we cannot answer you know how, how can we expect the finite mind to interpret or to understand the infinite Moving on to St. Augustine. I believe there's a picture of St. Augustine somewhere in the world. I don't know what it's called. However, it's a picture of him walking along the seashore, walking along the beach. Mm -hmm. And the story goes behind the painting is that um, whilst he was walking along the beach, he saw a boy. And the boy had dug a small hole in the sand. And the boy had a bucket or a cup. And the boy was attempting to empty the cup of its contents into the sand. And he was doing it over and over and over again. And St. Augustine, his curiosity eventually got the better of him. And he asked the boy, boy, why, why are you emptying? What are you doing? What are you trying to achieve? You can't possibly empty the entirety of the ocean into this small hole of, of, of sand. And the boy turned around and the boy said, and you cannot... Um, something along the lines of and you cannot think to write everything about god down into your book that passes across the the idea that we cannot as finite beings understand the infinite we can go a fair way to, as in regards to what god wishes to reveal to us mm-hmm. however we cannot go all the way especially because of our sinful nature uh, as well it kind of even though maybe we, we might be reading the right stuff um in the bible and it's all there uh, we might just be missing the point sometimes yeah definitely and moving on to what saint augustine said on the trinity it was actually saint augustine who favored using allegories to explain the trinity and one of his most famous allegories that he has used is the one of the lover the loved and love and i'll quote him now now when i who am asking about this love anything there are three things present I myself, what I love, and love itself. For I cannot love unless I love a lover. For there is no love where nothing is loved. Yet if the object of my love is myself, then the three become two, the object of love and love. For when the lover loves himself, subject and object are the same. And he goes on to say, if love is some kind of substance, it is not body but spirit. 
just as the mind is not body but spirit, yet the mind and its love are not two spirits but one spirit, not two essences but one. And I just think um, what he says there is so, again, as you said earlier about the boy telling St. Augustine that as he can't empty the ocean <laughs> into into his little hole of sand, St. Augustine can't um, write everything about God into his book. But yeah, I think he explains how one thing can be three. Uh, three can be of one very well. What do you think about it? Yeah, even though I think the unity between the persons, the substance... God is, it's one entity. So his, I think his allegory is flawed if I understood it correctly. If I, like me, myself, the person that loves, the lover, and then love itself, they're not the same substance, right? We're three different things completely, entirely. So it, I guess it, it's all good to try and get the concept, but it's always flawed. Just just one more thing on the history. In the on the historical um, side of things, we, we we have just laid out Tertullian bringing Trinitarian terminology into the Latin language, and we've also looked at Saint Augustine's use of analogies. However, I think it's also important to state that um, the doctrine of the Trinity would have been affirmed at uh, one of the councils, or maybe multiple of the councils, and these councils would have involved Christians from all over the Roman Empire mm-hmm. and throughout the Christendom, really, and basically having to agree with one another. And so a substantial proportion of the people who attended, of the priests and deacons and so on, would have agreed to the doctrine of the trinity mm-hmm. and so th- this this idea of the trinity the doctrine of the trinity was by no means a redundant thing that was brought out of nowhere much like the books of the gospels the doctrine of the trinity was already in widespread circulation um, by the time it had been affirmed definitely definitely even another good comparison is our canon of the bible it, it, it wasn't like they they just pull some books together, the ones they liked the most, and called it the Bible. It's The method was mostly, you know, what do people already consider as the canon? Um, and it's the same thing with the Trinity. There was a debate, and I think we can delve right into it to, for, to um, go in deeper into the history of the Trinity, uh, at least in the beginning. The Council of Nicaea, they didn't just, it wasn't just two random opposing, opposing views and they chose one of them no they the main view and then there was some soon-to-be heretics the Arians, and those two views how did they reach the conclusion that trinity was the right doctrine they went to the bible basically and that's where their main their main source was but also the, the history it'd been 300 years almost since jesus had died and uh, the continuing affirmation of the doctrine of the trinity was also a very good support um, throughout those years so now i think we can look at two big objections or three big objections to the doctrine of the trinity indeed hopefully with all that we have um, told you listeners you should have a understanding of the trinity upon where you should be able to look at these arguments and to understand the flaws in these arguments and as to why they're wrong and so the two arguments that we're going to be looking at is one from actually thomas jefferson and another one on um that that, that is in the quran um unless you want to look at modalism and tritheism as well we can do so let's look at those two but i also want to look at arianism tritheism and modalism those three definitely okay so the first one we're going to look at is what thomas 
what Thomas Jefferson said. And to quote Thomas Jefferson, metaphysical insanities, such as the Trinity, means Christianity, quote, relapses into polytheism, differing from paganism, only being more unintelligible, close quote. So what is wrong with that argument? Where does it say in the scripture that we worship multiple deities? Nowhere. (laughs) Exactly. Where in scripture do we relapse into polytheism? In fact, when, when we look at that quote, it actually seems to suggest that Thomas Jefferson believes that the Bible at one point argues monotheism and then at another point argues polytheism in regards to the Trinity. What actually this shows, I would argue, is Thomas Jefferson's ignorance of the scriptures. Because as as you, Lucas, pointed out earlier, especially a good example being the first verse of Genesis, the Hebrew used to mention God, is singular and plural within the same time, as, as, as in to suggest um, multiple persons of one substance. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And yeah. regarding it be only being more unintelligible, do you think it, the uh, Trinity is unintelligible? Well... Uh, and then, no, well, I think it's clear, especially for a converted mind, it's clear. And a mind that's actually interested, it's not unintelligible because we have the clear definitions down. Thanks to these councils, everyone and the universal church just accepted uh, or had, or was kind of, at that time, they're kind of made to accept. But anyways, and nowadays we accept it because we have these really good definitions that we went through in this podcast, the one substance and the three persons. And so it's not intelligible. So someone that does look at scripture and wants to actually exegete the passages and understand it, they will reach this conclusion. I'll also say that, as I said multiple times earlier, the Bible, if one studies it, very much demands God to be viewed within a Trinitarian scope. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was Thomas Jefferson as well that he he wrote his own version of the bible um he actually he wrote a version where there were no mentions of supernatural things and no miracles done by jesus so you can see his super big bias and why he 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 changes christianity to take out the parts that he doesn't understand and he doesn't agree with so to to look at him for guidance uh, for the bible and what it says, it's not a good idea. Yes, I think he was very much a child of what one would, might call the Enlightenment, of where everything must be explained rationally, and everything can be explained rationally. And so he would have rewritten the Bible with a view probably to uh, put it in its place. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Perhaps yeah, with it yeah. within a, a totally rationalistic view, apart of, of course, whilst doing that utterly um, rejecting the ancient manuscripts yeah. and also spitting upon about 4,000 years of history. And what we said for Tom, what Thomas Jefferson said, it goes the same goes for tritheism. He's basically saying, you know, the Bible affirms three gods. Uh, where we, we clearly understand in Deuteronomy 6.4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, which is probably the most famous verse for Jews. Uh, one of the most famous verse for Christians as well. Then in the New Testament, equally it says in 1 Corinthians 8, 4, Therefore, as eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. Here he's quoting uh, the Old Testament as well, Paul is. In Galatians 3, 20, it says, Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. So scripture clearly 
affirms that there is only one God, one entity. And any diversion from that, it's our if it's our minds trying to make sense of something that is complicated, uh, but it's definitely understandable. The problem is a lot of people, they might read and look at the Bible and go on the internet and not have any guidance. And we know that our minds can, uh, our fallen minds can reach very bad conclusions by themselves. So without guidance, sometimes we look at certain passages and try to find our own conclusions, but they're not the correct ones. Definitely. Um, and moving on to the next argument, this one of the uh, Quran, uh, in Surah 5, 116, it states, quote, And beware the day when Allah will say, O Jesus, son of Mary, did you say to the people, take me and my mother as deities besides Allah? Close quote. Straight off the bat, there are multiple issues with this. The first one is, again, much like uh, in in common with the Thomas Jefferson quote, where does it say in the scripture that they are, that Jesus and the Father are separate deities. However, there is a brand new one as well, that being Mary. Where does it say in the scripture that Mary, Jesus's mother, was to be regarded as a deity? Now, we might think that, for example, the Roman Catholics may look like they worship Mary. In fact, they may even sometimes, let's say, pray to Mary. However, I believe that the Roman Catholic Catechism, in fact, says that they venerate Mary, not worship Mary, especially not as a deity. In fact, nowhere even in the Catholic Catechism does it say that Mary is a deity at all. And actually, this shows the vulnerability of the Quran with that perhaps the authors, authors of the Quran came across a certain sect that looked like they were worshipping Mary. However, this does not at all apply to Orthodox Christianity. It also spits in the face on the Allah side of things. So it's declaring that Jesus is actually separate from God, which is also anti-Trinitarian. Perhaps another observation as well is, where is the Holy Spirit? <laughs> in this sentence, it seems to be suggesting that we worship God, Jesus and Mary not the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. This is, this, so yeah, this is just a straw man on whoever wrote Surah 516. They're not even looking at Christian theology at all. Christian theology isn't God the Father, God the wife, and God the Son. <laughs> it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Another thing to point out as well is that uh, I, I believe there is actually no evidence of a Christian sect uh, especially around the Middle East, that worshipped Mary. Now moving on to some heresies that were born inside of the Christian church. Thomas Jefferson was closer to deism, uh, a lot closer to deism, and Islam, it, it's a heresy, but it's it's a very, very far away from Christianity, more than these other two that we're going to look at now. So these other two came up uh, in the first millennium uh, after Christ. The first one, even though there were many heresies before that, the big two was Arianism, the first one Arianism, and that split the church almost. The followers of Arian, a guy in the fourth century AD, he believed that one God, he was correct in that, but there was only one person. So he was basically like a Jehovah's Witness, that there's one God, but only one person. So it's God the Father. And then Jesus is the Son of God, as the Jehovah's Witnesses believe as well. But then 
he he was created by God. This is a big heresy and it throws away. And and if you believe it and you're willing to hold on to it, and even, even after looking at the Bible, it's, it's a heresy. There's no way, there's no two ways about it. And um, this was decided in the First Council of Nicaea in 325, where the whole of the Catholic Church joined together and decided that it is a, a heresy. Why is it a heresy? Well, it completely destroys the Trinity and the understanding of the gospel, etc. And to sh- prove them wrong, uh, they used Bible verses. I'm going to use one of them. So John 1, 1 to 2, it says, In the beginning was the Word. And for those of you who don't know the Word, a lot of the time, depending on the context, it's a synonym of Jesus Christ or God the Son. So it's not the Word like the Bible, but it's God the Son. So in the beginning was the Word. Jesus and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God and it goes on to say that everything was created with the word so with Jesus so here we've got a clear example probably for me the most beautiful example of this unity and non-unity of the trinity where the word was with God so it's separate okay so Jesus is separate from God but Jesus was God as well and he is God so uh, so he's at the same time separate and the same, uh, which is very interesting. So this this is just one verse that completely throws down Arianism. But as we can see, heresies stay in the church for long. The Mormons, Mormons also believe Jesus was created, and they even believe God the Father was created. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses believe Jesus was created. Uh, Muslims believe Jesus was created. But no, God the Son, Jesus, he he's eternally existed in spirit, and then in his birth, he, he took on human form as well. Then the second big heresy, though closer to the meaning of the Trinity in some ways, it's still very wrong, which is modalism, which means there's one God, one person, and that person, let's call him God, uh, he takes on three different forms. So this is the analogy of the water, which is a bad analogy, because here they would say Jesus, when he's talking to God the Father and praying, he's actually talking to himself. And the Holy Spirit is the same person as Jesus and the same person as God the Father. So this is very wrong in it. And the verse that would refute this is in Matthew 3, 16 to 17. And this is the time when Jesus was baptized. So, so I'll read it. And it says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So here we've got Jesus. And then the Spirit of God, which is something... Uh, separate from Jesus comes down and then we've got another thing that's separate which is a voice from heaven from God the Father and it's not the spirit because the spirit is actually descending down in the form uh, or like a dove uh, so here we can definitely see the three the separation of the three and he's he's not the same person when we have Jesus talking to his father it, he's actually talking to a different person even though it's still one entity God uh, there are some verses that seem like they point that they say that Jesus and uh, the Father are one or the same, but they, they don't actually say that. Some people might point to John 10 30 saying, I and the Father are one. Some people look at that and say, Well, see, they're the same person. But obviously, if we just look at the verse before that, in John 10 29, it says, My Father who has given them to me. So the two different persons, the verse after, which we just read, I and the Father are one. Again, it points to. 
this unity with the Trinity, uh, which is greater than just uh, unity and desire and purpose, which is what the Mormons uh, say, uh, because the Mormons do kind of believe that they're two different gods. Yet, in the Trinity, they're united essence, but they're still two different persons. Lovely. Um, Just to say that back to you, really, from from what I understand. So there's kind of like two forms of... of There are two forms of uh, modelism, one of them being chronological modelism, which holds that God was father at one point in history, that God was then sent as a son at another point, and finally that God was at another point uh, spirit. So God thus appears in different modes at different times. And then the, the, the second form of modelism holds that God operates in different ways at the present moment and that the three persons of the Trinity refer to these different modes of action. So it sounds like they have, they recognise the whole Father, Son and Spirit. However, after that, it's completely thrown out the window of their understanding of what the Trinity is. Yeah. And it's a perversion of the orthodox understanding of the Trinity, which, according to you, can be very easily refuted using Matthew chapter Mm 3, verse 16 to 17. Could you just read that out again? And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened up to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Lovely. So that is definitely saying that the three were present at the same time. And the Father, he's the one that will judge humanity. God will judge humanity. I understand that. I've never heard of that chronological argument, but I understand why they would come up with that because that was the order in which it was kind of revealed in fullness of uh, Revelation. But they continue. (laughs) The Father doesn't turn into into Jesus. Jesus Jesus was actually raised up by the power of the Father. So so do you know much about tritheism then? Tritheism, some kind of pagan type of thing where you've just got three different gods. It's probably what Thomas Jefferson was meaning by polytheist. But this is also refuted in the Bible again by saying the God, Lord is one, God is one. And here in John 1, 1, again it says the word was with God and the word was God. So the word was with God uh, indicates that he is separate from God, the Father. That's great. Yeah. So I think we've covered all of the arguments then, all the arguments that we want to cover in this podcast anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So I think just wrapping up the Trinity, the understanding of the Trinity is demanded of us from the Bible throughout, really. The historical developments has very much been of the understanding and the clarifying of the idea of the Trinity that the Bible demands us to see God as. And we've also looked up some arguments which various um, places of scripture very easily refute. And on that note, I think um, that is all. So thank you all for listening. And we look forward to speaking to you next time.